welcome to Jersey Guy Sports, your sports talk home for the Yanks, the Giants, the Rangers, and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. I'm your host, Don. I want to thank you for listening. Today, I'm going to be talking about Rutgers basketball crushing number 10 Indiana Saturday, and they're getting a huge quad one win. The Giants blow a late lead, unfortunately, and tie the Washington Redskins on Sunday. And the New York Rangers are in a free fall, and it really hurts this podcaster. So let's go ahead and get started. This is probably going to be a quickie podcast here because I don't have a lot of time today. So let's go ahead and start with Rutgers basketball, which got a huge dominant win over number 10 Indiana, 63-48 Saturday afternoon at the Rack. And the Rack was loud. It was awesome. The additional bonus of getting this huge win against a ranked opponent at home was they had two top recruits in the crowd. One of them was Ron Harper Jr.'s younger brother, Dylan Harper. The crowd was chanting, Dylan Harper. And he got to see just how loud the rack was. And there was another uh, four-star recruit there, too, who uh, Peichel is heavily, heavily recruiting. And they interviewed him after the game, and he was talking about just how spectacular the crowd was in the environment compared to all the other places he went and how this is how college basketball should be and things like that, which really, really help when it comes to recruiting. I cannot say enough how impressed I am with Peichel's management of this team, coaching, recruiting ability, and just his ability year after year to produce a team that no matter who else gets lost in the offseason continues to perform and particularly at home. Um, the rank, the rack, I should say, is where ranked teams come to die, <laughs> as noted by the announcers. They noted that Rutgers is now 10-3 against ranked teams here at home since 2019. And that is insanely good. 13 games against ranked opponents in the last three years, and we won 10 of 13 there. And that is just really, really, really good where ranked teams come to die, the trapezoid of terror. And it was loud, and it was supportive, and it was a really, really fun game. Uh, One of the breakout stars of this game and of the season is Simpson, the the freshman looking like little Geo. He has now arrived, and he carried this team in the second half. He had a run of 10 straight points all with him that were just spectacular, where everything was on display. It was a nice pass from Mulcahy for a layup. Then it was a dribble in, fake in, step back. Nice fading two-pointer, a.k.a. Geo. <clears throat> look look exactly like how Geo takes those two-pointers. Then he hit a three-pointer on another pass from Mulcahy. And then he finished it up with a driving layup. So he did really, really, really well, and he carried this team. Beyond all that, Simpson looks super confident. If you watch him play, he is not scared of anything. I mean, he tries to dunk over six foot ten centers. He goes one on one with the best defensive guards in the country. He is not scared of the moment. Now, sometimes it's a little bit to his detriment <clears throat> because he does take occasionally some bad shots and sometimes gets a little too excited. And he and he started this game poorly. In the first half, he didn't hit a shot. He had no points at halftime, but Boy, in the second half did he arrive and and almost single-handedly carried us to victory here. He was spectacular. And it's just wonderful to see a kid that's only a freshman have so much confidence in himself and so much ability. He has this, you know, quick step, jab, drive. He has a great crossover dribble. Um, He has a three-pointer. He has all the moves. And he has some ups and he can jam. And 
he's really, really an exciting player, and I'm just so excited to to have him on the team. Now, he's got a long way to go before he can be Geo Baker, but he has the same kind of tools. He wears the same number, and he kind of looks like him. It's amazing. It's like the second coming. Um, anyway, it was great to see, um, and it was very, very helpful. The offense, on another point real quick here, um, looked better. Um, with Mulcahy back for sure. And that's not to say that we hit more shots or, you know, we had too many missed layups again and, and some other things. But as far as the way the offense looks, the mechanics of it, you know, not just catching the ball, going one on three and shooting. We rotated the ball. Mulcahy was patient. He had a couple of really good assists. It looked like a functioning offense, even if the end result wasn't always hitting the shot. Like there were good shots that were just missed at certain times as opposed to bad shots, which were missed. And, you know, the end result is a miss in those situations. But when you run good plays, you set screens, you have more than two passes, you're patient. More often than not, you're going to end up with a good result than a bad result. And we saw the difference with Mulcahy in the game versus not in the game right away. And it was a huge help. And I think sometimes I take Paul Mulcahy for granted. Um, and it showed here. It was great to have him back. Um, the team missed some free throws again. Um, and also Spencer, again, did not have a good game, which was a shame. He's done really well against the poorer teams and has not done very well against some of the better teams we played this year. And that's a little concerning because we need his input. We definitely need some scoring. We need him to hit threes against good teams. And <clears throat> we need him to be consistent in that. So, um, that was the one concern I had coming out of the game. But outside of that, I have to say um, the team functioned well with Amori, who got an early foul trouble and certainly can't be doing that all year as the Big Ten schedule starts to go into full gear soon. But he was out with two minutes, and the team functioned well um, without him. We played good defense. We continued to score. Um, I have to say, Mwant Mog had a much better game. Caleb McConnell continued to score, um, which is generally not his game, but he has scored in the few games he's been back way more than I'm used to seeing him score. So that's good. Maybe if he somehow improved a little more offensively, that can contribute uh, and help us offensively. Um, The rack was loud. It was exciting. And it was a tremendous, tremendous dominant win going away. We beat a a number 10 Indiana team who had beaten North Carolina the week before going away. Um, As the game ended, it wasn't even close, 63-48. Um, we dominated this team in most aspects of the game, and that is impressive. The rack, where ranked teams come to die. Go Rockers. All right, let's go on and talk a little bit about the New York Giants quickly. The New York Giants tied the Redskins Sunday, 2020. It was a game that the Giants should have won, could have won, um, and kind of blew at the end of regulation. And there's a lot to talk about, but I'm really not going to spend a lot of time on it. It was a pretty frustrating game. The offense just completely stopped working late in the game, and contributing to that was some horrendous play calling, either by Dable or Kafka, whoever's calling the plays. Um, Way, way, way too conservative, both at the end of the first half and in many situations late in the game. I don't understand why they continue to be so conservative, especially when early in the year we were the opposite of conservative, and we were trying to win games and go for two-point conversions on the last play of the game and doing all kinds of stuff to win games. And this game just seemed like we continue to be super, super conservative, like we're trying not to lose. And, you know, when you don't have the talent 
you can't play not to lose, right? Really strong teams can play and win in a variety of ways. You can play aggressive and win. You can, can you can also uh, concurrently play conservative and win. When your team is not talented, it's hard to play conservative and win because then you're just counting on either other teams to turn the ball over and make mistakes, or you're counting on your team just being flat out better. And the Giants, it has been sort of confirmed over the last month or so, are not as good as their early record has indicated. And I don't think that's a surprise to true Giants fans. Obviously, with everyone, there's a recency bias, right? And if you don't know what that is, that's where your memory, you remember the most recent things and you give them far more weight than things that are a little more in the past. And generally, not rightly so. Meaning that, you know, if your team wins the first three games, and loses the next three games, right? In your mind, you're thinking, ah, we suck, or ah, we're a problem. And you forget the first three. Conversely, if you lose the first three, and then you win the next three, in your mind, ah, we're really good, we got this, we got that. Now, in both cases, your team is three and three, and they're a pretty damn average team, right? But your mind is affected by what you've just seen, right? So certainly, you know, while the Giants were winning, Everyone was, you know, completely, you know, I guess, unaware or or not thinking about the fact that we still have huge offensive line problems. And that while we drafted Evan Neal, and that's going to help at right tackle, there's still three other spots that we need to firm up. And, and each week we continue to see now Barkley not being able to gain many yards against good defenses. Part of it, again, is Barkley's Barclays fault. And, and again, if we open the bank and pay this guy, I'm telling you guys it's a mistake. He does not need $10, 15 $20 million a year. Just get any running back at all. Seriously, I, I, am, I am completely not a Saquon Barkley fan. I'm telling you, he has done nothing to warrant a ton of money. And, and I'm sorry, but... It is not a position that should have ever been drafted number two, and it is not. He's not the player that warrants some kind of spectacular salary. He continues to be indecisive in holes, and they blame it on this. And every time he gets one good run, they ignore all the other runs where he just stops or sort of doesn't get contact at the ends of runs. I, I hate when he doesn't run through the damn play. You watch every other running back, and most of the time they maximize the yards they're getting. I mean, you, you get hit on a certain yard line, you fall forward for two more. Barkley stops a yard before that hit, tries to deke him out, and maybe gets back to the position where he would have first been hit. He does this consistently. He does it all the time. And if I tell you to watch the next game and watch Barkley at the point of contact you'll and compare it to any other back, just either on the Giants or another team, take a look at the point of contact. Now, occasionally he does great things and occasionally he does run through things, but way, way, way too often he is still trying to deke instead of getting a few extra yards and it's not helpful in the long run. And we do not need to give this guy a contract. We need so many things on this team. This was exposed this game. This is not an anti-Saquon <clears throat> game or, or podcast, but I feel it's important to know because people just sort of give Barkley a blank slate, blank check. Oh, yes, it's not him. It's everyone else. It's him, too. But, you know, certainly this game was not Barkley. It was he didn't have any holes to run in. The plays calling was terrible. 
Um, the line sort of didn't hold up when Jones needed some time. Um, the offense was horrendous. Let, let, let's, let's call it what it was, um, especially in the second half. <clears throat> now, Kevin Thibodeau, <laughs> the other side of the ball, finally got a friggin' sack. Of course, it was on an unblocked rush. Nobody was in front of him, and he just ran right to the quarterback and got a sack. But Thibodeau is still terrible. And, and it's funny because even on these sort of little packages they put together on TV, oh, look at Thibodeau and how great— they they showed three or four plays of Thibodeau, and two of them, three of them, he was completely blocked and nowhere near the quarterback. And they were using that package to show how really good Thibodeau was and all the pressure. And two of them, he was like not within five or six yards of the quarterback. Like he was absolutely nowhere. And that was the best they could find on him. So, <clears throat> again, overrated Thibodeau, overrated Saquon. And it's a super unpopular position but so far this year that's where we are with the Giants and hopefully Thibodeau actually picks it up and I'm not going to count his unblocked sack this week he basically hasn't done dog shit this whole year and I'm tired of it the defense gave a 430 440 yards and was roundly praised everywhere the announcers the articles I wrote everywhere I don't get it I don't get it every week it feels like while the defense is <clears throat> sometimes competitive and sometimes good, they do not get called out for when they're not good. And they were not good in this game. And it feels just like the writers use, I don't know what to call it, like comparative judgment when they're grading the defense. Well, they were better than this piece of shit offense. So let's say they were decent. They were pretty good. The defense was not decent. If you go back and watch that game, they were putrid. I, I mean, in the second half, they were just letting people go down, go down. Now, there was a couple turnovers, and there was a couple good plays here and there. So maybe putrid is tough. But they just let Washington drive down the field and drive down the field and miss tackle after miss tackle. Could not get any pressure on the quarterback. Occasionally, in, in the end, they did. I think Dexter Lawrence got a sack. And like I said, uh, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau got the unblocked rush sack. But, you know, outside of that, they couldn't get near the quarterback. There were completely uncovered receivers all over the damn field. There were missing tackles. They let that late drive go all the way down the field and tie the damn game. But the defense, while it had its moments, was not particularly good at all. And I'm sorry, we need to stop using comparative judgment when grading the defense. It is possible for the offense to be bad and also the defense to be pretty bad. It is possible and it actually happened, but it's not written about that way. And and I'm sorry, the defense was not very good. Um, yes, it was better than the offense. Okay, I'm going to tell you it was better than the offense, but it was not good. Um, the Giants, I think, are coming back to earth now after what was a great start. You know, they, they are certainly better than they were last year in every way. But there's also holes everywhere, right? Uh, we need to get more of a pass rush than we're getting. We certainly need some better play on the offensive line. We absolutely need some top wide receivers and some targets. Now getting Bellinger back really, really helped. Um, getting Nojuali back on defense really helped our pass rush a little, but we need even more. Um, we have uh, half of our secondary is out. We have holes. We have problems. And it was known that we were coming from a terrible team where, you know, Gettleman just gutted this team. So it's not surprising that the team is where it is. But I think... 
you know, again, due to some recency bias after the team was, you know, really strong, you know, in the beginning of the season, seven and two, you're thinking, yeah, you know, wow, this team is really good. And you're not really looking at what's on the team um, and sort of stepping back. And that's noticeable. And that's fine. It's great to be a fan and be proud of your team. I know I was. But, you know, I think it's possible now for the team to, you know, be improved, be a fairly average team, which I think the Giants are, you know, and still be happy with it because there's improvement everywhere. But, you know, we need to not be carried away on both the high side and the low side. You know, if they win two games in a row, we can't, you know, just think about the playoffs. You know, if they lose two or three games in a row, we can't just think about how terrible it is and everything needs to be blown up because this team now has good management. They have a really good GM. They have a good coach. They need to be methodical, and sometimes it takes time to go from terrible to really good. So let's give them a little time. And, uh, you know, there are certain things that have to happen in the interim. This this is a winnable game, but, you know, we have to continue to, you know, improve in all places. Daniel Jones, for one, by the way, before I wrap up this giant segment, does look a little better here and there. He's picking better spots to run in. Um, He makes me pull my hair out a few times on some throws, but... He does seem improved in in several places, particularly for someone who doesn't have any kind of receiving core. So um, we'll see how things go. I want to move on and talk quickly about the New York Rangers. New York Rangers. What can I say? What can I say? (laughs) The Rangers are in a friggin' free fall. They just lost an awful, awful pair of games, Friday and Saturday. They lost Friday to Ottawa in a game they were winning 2-1, with under a minute left in the game, and they lost the friggin' game in overtime. They gave up a tying goal in the last minute. They gave up the overtime winner, <clears throat> and it was dreadful. It was a deflating, disgusting loss, and it really set the tone for the weekend. And then they played at home against Chicago Saturday night, and Chicago is a bottom dweller. They are not a good team. The Blackhawks are rebuilding. They are terrible. Um they had lost, I don't know, six, seven, eight games in a row, some ridiculous thing. And they basically blew out the Rangers at home. And the Rangers need to to find something here. Um, it's quite possible that last year was just sort of uh, an anomaly. And maybe the Rangers aren't as good as I thought they were. That's certainly possible. But they played very, very well over a long stretch last year. And it felt like they had some pieces. Um, but just two dreadful losses in a row after some terrible play most of the rest of this year. It's hard to see how this Ranger team gets it turned around. The offense, by the way, is particularly terrible. There's a lot of things that they need to work on, but their five-on-five offense in particular needs a huge jolt. They just are not scoring goals five-on-five. And yes, they're hitting lots of posts. It's just, it's almost a remarkable number of posts and bad puck luck. But, you know, that kind of stuff happens when you're not playing well or you're not a good team. You know, it seems like you get the puck luck when you're playing well and you're making chances. And the Rangers have hit post after post after post over the last two or three weeks. Like, I, If they played, I don't know, 10 games in the last two weeks, they have probably hit 20, 25 posts. It's been incredible. They could have had 20 more goals than they've had just from the post. But again, that's not it. When you watch the games, you have to throw that shit out because they don't deserve to win these games, right? They're they're giving up 
terrible scoring chances. They are not getting in position to crowd the goalie and get dirty goals. They are not getting rebounds. They are not pressuring. And, and uh, their forecheck is substandard. And everyone just looked at Ryan Reeves straight and said, oh, yeah, great. We got a fifth-round draft pick for him. They're not hitting as much anymore. And you know what? The Rangers last year hit a lot. I don't care what the fucking stats say this year about how many hits the Rangers have versus other teams. They are not as physical a team this year. And in my mind, that that is the thing. And, and that's not the only reason they're not playing well, but it was part of their identity last year. And, and they don't have that this year. Not as much anyway. And I don't care what the stats show. I'm telling you. Um, Trocek looks poor. Chris Kreider is back to his normal self, right? He had the one anomalous year where he scored 50 goals. Now he's back to, you know, can't put the puck in the ocean, missing wide open nets. He's back to his normal self where... You don't see him for five or six games at all. Did he play tonight? Was he on the ice? You know, he has the occasional games where he's good, but he's just like, and that's how his whole career has been, right? Again, it's the recency bias. You see 50 goals last year. And you say, oh, it's great. What a great player. And you forget the rest of his career where, you know, I keep going back to something my dad always tells me about baseball players and their batting averages, you know, where they have these streaks of bad or good. But in the end, they generally end up somewhere near what their career batting average is, right? After five, six years, you have a career batting average, and that's probably how good a hitter you are. And, you know, people are as what their career averages are. And Kreider, in his career, has been streaky good and then streaky bad for several games. And he's back to that now after the one anomalous year last year. And it's sad to see. I was hoping, you know, later in his career he could have a new trajectory, but... So far, it's not looking like that. It's still relatively early, but what did Yogi say? It's getting late early. It certainly is for the Rangers. They played over a quarter of the season now. And so far, honestly, they look like dog shit. Igor does not look great. He looks fine. He looks okay. But with the way the Rangers are playing, you cannot have a fine or okay goalie. You, we need to have an utterly spectacular goalie, the one that won the Vezina Trophy last year, and that's Igor. And Igor is not Vezina Igor this year. The Rangers are in trouble. And from a personal perspective, from this podcast, I got to tell you, it really hurts. Um, it's like a gut punch to me. I, I really, really love watching the Rangers. And it's been a long time before last year since the Rangers were really good. And it was so fun to see them be so good. And, and I miss it. I miss seeing, you know, competitive Rangers hockey. And it's been a while. And now it's kind of back to when they were rebuilding again. And it's unfortunate. And, um, it hurts. And hopefully the Rangers can find something to turn this all around. But uh, at this point, on December 5th, it, it's hard to see um, how that happens. Uh, maybe, you know, they, they can find something. Maybe they can call up some folks. I don't know what they can do. They have no salary cap or anything to, to make any moves with. So it's going to be a tough, tough road. Um, anyway, that's all I have for you today. So I want to thank you for listening to Jersey Guy Sports. And please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends all about it. And I'll be back soon with some more sports talk. Thanks and have a good day.